It's not a matter of fall. Hello everyone, Pamela Zero here. Welcome to Duck, Duck, Goose, a podcast about the book Duck. This episode includes chapter 12, followed by a bit of music and then some Q&A. Thanks for coming along on Duck's journey. Chapter 12. The Convention, Here and Now. Elenin woke up earlier than usual on the second day of the convention. For the first time in a long time, she was excited about the day ahead. In an effort to reassure Duck, they had slept in their assigned room inside the visitors' quarters. Duck considered the ventilation tubes emergency housing. Her comm unit pinged and she saw it was David. She answered, smiling. What are you doing up so early? You're awake. I thought I'd leave a message wishing you luck today. It's hard work winning elections, but it's even harder work losing them. I was just thinking that in a week or so, we'll be on thread. All this will be behind us. It will. And then maybe we can talk about making a future for ourselves, as people, not just as visitors. Elenin saw Duck stretch and sit up on her cot. Duck is up. Okay then, good luck today. You got this. Elenin hesitated. David? Yes? That future sounds good. How does breakfast sound? Even better. Meet you in the cafeteria in ten. Duck waited until Mama Two went to breakfast and then slipped into Uncle David's room. Mobe said there was nothing in the walls that was interesting, but Duck wanted to see for herself. She looked around the room but didn't see any sign of a door in the wall. Duck had peppered Moby with questions the night before about where exactly the door was, but he wouldn't tell her. She tried to hold still and feel a breeze from the hidden door, like in a story Auntie Fran had told her back in Burston, but she felt nothing. She put her ear to the wall and heard things, distant voices, muffled tapping, and someone coughing. She worked away around the room, listening with her ear against the wall, when she found a spot where the sounds were louder, she searched for door edges. She finally found them hidden by the pattern painted on the wall. She pried the door open with her fingertips and peered in. It was dark. She stepped into the wall and pulled the door shut behind her. Ose and Sai were sitting at their dining room table, both of them pretending to eat breakfast as Moby read out his report. He had meticulously documented every move, every gesture, every word that Duck had made and said the day before. What do you think actually happened that made them pull her into phase? asked Ose. I don't know, replied Mobe, but she was lying when she told me it was about her aunt's dress. How do you know? Mobe held up his comm unit and clicked a button. Duck's voice filled the room. I am okay. I was pulled into phase. My Auntie Maggie needed help with her dress. I will see you later. Well, I've never heard that particular tone of voice from her, said Sai, giving up on his food and getting up. He went to the sideboard and opened a small drawer, pulling out an etched metal box. I heard her use it a few times when she was lying to me or someone else. Moby sat down at the table and looked longingly at Sai's untouched food. Ose reached out and pushed the plate over to his offer. Sai had the box open and was pulling out a series of small, sharp throwing knives. 
He tucked them in various places in his clothing as he spoke. Well, what do we know? We know that our little group of visitors is not interested in the jobs that they're the most suited for, which bothers me. We also know that they're not interested in making sure that the elections are fair and honest, even if Buck and his group wins, which bothers me even more, added Osei. We know that Duck is involved somehow, said Mobe. And we know that they don't want to be declared the first. Above all, they don't want any of their group to be named as the first. Sai finished stashing his knives around his body and put the box back in its drawer, which means that they understand the trials the first may have to go through, Mobe said around a mouthful of food, which means that one of their group is the first, said Osei. Well then, I guess that makes our task today quite clear, Sai took a deep breath. Whatever they're planning, we need to be a part of it. Wherever they go, we need to go. During the convention, yes, but more importantly, after the convention ends. Above all, we cannot lose track of the four. Mobe shoveled the last of the food on his plate into his mouth and got up. Osei sat for another moment, gathering himself, and then stood as well. You're right. We cannot lose track of the four. Duck's eyes got used to the darkness quickly. She could see well enough to navigate around the twists and turns of the tiny space between the walls. There were openings now and then that branched off, and she took every right turn she came across. Auntie Fran had told her enough magical maze stories for her to know at least that. The floor started sloping down, and Duck slowed her pace as it got steeper. The light grew dimmer, and a sour smell made Duck wrinkle her nose. She felt the floor level off under her feet. She must be very far down in the temple now. Duck saw a glimmer of light up ahead. She moved towards it with caution. The walls around her became more visible, and they seemed to be slick with some sort of liquid. Duck folded her hands in front of her to avoid touching the walls. The source of the light turned out to be a small hole in the right-hand wall, about the size of her pinky. Duck closed one eye and looked through the hole, careful to avoid touching the slimy wall with her face. She saw a large cave. The floor was mostly flat, with scattered pools of some kind of black liquid. In the center of the cavern was a large stone. It stretched up about six meters high and glowed a pale blue. There were smaller stones jumbled around the rock's base. Two lasts sat at a table in front of the stone, playing cards. There were glowing lights set around the cavern here and there, and some machinery over to the side. Overall, it was just a cave with a big rock in it. Duck understood that this was probably the source that the service was always talking about. She had thought it would be more dramatic somehow. She narrowed her eyes and stared at the source to see if it made any difference. Nothing changed. She closed her eyes and listened carefully. Nothing. Duck stepped back from the hole. Her shoe grazed the back wall, slipping a bit on the black slime. Duck froze, a bit blind from the light in the cavern, and then carefully started up the narrow hallway. She needed to hurry if she wanted to get back to the visitors' quarters before Mama too got back from breakfast. She was glad she had explored the secret hallways, but the source had been a bit of a dud. It was too dark in the hallway for Duck to see the slime slipping along the walls behind her. It kept pace with her, 
until she crossed some invisible line and the black ooze had to stop. It bunched up along some unseen barrier, flowing up over the walls and ceiling in an endless circle, waiting. Fran checked the convention hall for the second time. She had help from others on the defense team, which felt strange as well as welcome. They had already found a few hidden recording devices and what looked like a homemade bomb stashed in one of the trash receptacles. Tess had the idea to put the recording devices in the main entry hall of the temple, where they'd be subject to an endless barrage of service bots welcoming visitors. The bomb was turned over to the service security officer on duty, who seemed genuinely shocked that anyone would try and hurt the visitors. This second day of the convention was designed to allow everyone running for an open position or office to promote themselves. There were also a few votes scheduled, including the creation of the defense team, the exploratory committee for Thrid, and the courier company. Fran knew that the others were nervous about the votes going their way, but she wasn't worried. Worst case scenario, the six of them would take off after the convention and just do their own thing. Find some backwater planet that had no idea who they were and live out the rest of their lives in peace. The downside to that plan was a duck. She would outlive them all, and that meant setting up a galaxy where she would be safe, whether or not she had the five of them to protect her. Life on a backwater planet might keep them from being spotted, but it wasn't an actual solution to their problem. It was just avoiding it. Burstyn had taught Fran that avoidance might keep them alive, but it was a poor life at best. Eleanor looked around the convention hall, noting that the flowers on the tables had fresh water in their vases and the new schedules were up. It was a good hour before the convention would start and the room was mostly empty. She waved to Paolo and Maggie, who were standing over by the stage. Duck was close by Eleanor's side, skipping and watching the layers of her dress move. Mama, too, do you think they will have breakfast here? Honey, didn't you have breakfast already in the visitors' quarters? I thought you ate while I met Uncle David. That was about a million years ago. I'm growing. Look, my dress is already shorter. Eleanor smiled and pointed towards the buffet tables. They were being loaded with food, and Duck gave her a quick hug before running over and grabbing a plate. Ellen and glanced around the room and spotted Paolo as he shifted into phase, already starting his watch over Duck. She had been looking for Mobe, but didn't see him yet. His apparent concern for Duck didn't fool her. He was part of the service, and their only real focus was the prophecy. Buck looked at himself in the mirror, turning sideways to see how his jumpsuit fit. Maybe I should get some of those robes like Selrus wore yesterday. This is okay, but it's kind of boring. You're a treasurer, Bucky. You're supposed to be boring. Boring and responsible and predictable and safe. Bussett was dressed in another gown, this one a deep gold color that blended into red at the hem. People have to trust you with their money. No fancy robes for you. Eulish came into the room wearing the same dress she had worn the day before. Yule, what are you thinking? Where is your gown? You can't wear that. Busset took her sister by the hand and led her back to her bedroom door. Get into your gown now. I don't want to see you until you're dressed properly. Eulish went into her bedroom and opened her closet. She shook her head and then pulled out an extravagant blue dress exploding with ruffles. 
In a few moments, she was changed into the dress, looking miserable. Busset came in with her hands behind her back and squealed with joy. There we go! You look smashing! Every inch a liaison! I feel like an idiot. Eulish swatted at one of the ruffles, which arched up over half her face. Leave that alone! You look amazing! Now here, there's a hat that goes with it. Busset perched a small blue hat with a spray of feathers on top of Eulish's head and pinned it into place. Perfect! Eulish looked at her sister and sighed. Ever since she'd become the first, there was no saying no to her. When the plan was for her and Buck to take off and leave the temple, Eulish was all right with Busset's bossiness. But now that they were staying, Eulish couldn't wait until the service started trying to fulfill the prophecy. Busset would be too busy then to boss her around. Fran was in phase and happy. She felt the familiar, almost comforting chill seeping into her skin suit. She was perched on the top edge of a window in the convention hall, high up on one of the walls. It was a narrow ledge, and she let her weight rest on her heels as she scanned the slow-motion crowd below, looking for Ose and Sai. She finally spotted them over by the sign-up sheet tables. Elinan was concerned that Buck and company might throw a wrench into their plans, but it was Ose and Sai that worried Fran. The whole punch, thread, and pattern thing creeped her out, but it also gave the two men an advantage when it came to sharing and analyzing information. Ose and Sai moved towards the stage area in slow motion and sat down in the audience. Day two of the convention was about to start. Fran watched Elinan walk onto the stage as if she was moving through molasses and noted that a large number of people in the audience were clapping. As Elinan gave the opening remarks for day two, Fran scanned the room, looking for anything amiss or odd. So far, so good. Duck sat in a usual spot in the audience in the second row, outside aisle seat. Mobe was next to her, making more notes on his pad. Duck felt a bit bad about lying to him the day before, but not bad enough to say anything and jeopardize their plans. Mama too was up on the stage talking about voting, and Duck sat up straighter in her chair. Even though she was just six years old, she got to vote on everything, just like the grown-ups. Elinan paused and then started in on the instructions for voting. We are voting in the most secure way we can. Old-fashioned paper and ballot boxes, with the vote count being done right here in this room by sets of randomly picked visitors. Our first vote will take place this morning between now and midday. We will be voting on the creation of committees and teams, as that will give people time to sign up if the votes go through. You can pick up your ballots over at the table where you checked in this morning. The official service count for the visitors is 128. However, there are a few duplicates on that list, and the list does not include the three newly discovered visitors from RIS, including the first. We think the actual number is 129 when we get done adding and subtracting visitor names. We have prepared exactly that number of ballots. Pick up your ballots, mark your choices, and drop your completed ballots in the box here up front by the stage before midday. The ballots will be counted this afternoon in front of us all. Anyone that would like to stand up front here by the ballot box to make sure there is no tampering, please feel free to do so. I only ask that you leave an area open in front of the box so that people can drop off their ballots unimpeded. 
We've also placed a temperature gauge on top of the box. David, if you would be so kind. David got up from his seat and walked over to the ballot box. He pointed to the little machine on top of the box, which had a display of the current temperature. He phased, and the temperature reading on top of the box plummeted. A thin alarm started beeping. David reappeared, and as the temperature rose back up to normal, the alarm shut off. Thank you, David. Alanin looked out at the crowd of visitors. As you can see, we've made provisions to keep the vote safe from tampering by anyone in phase as well. It's crucial that we make sure that there is no interference with people's votes. After we have our midday meal and the votes are counted, we'll shift over to elections and vote on who we'd like to see in various positions. In the meanwhile, this stage is now open to anyone that would like to speak on behalf of themselves or someone they are supporting. There is a sign-up sheet right over to the side, and time on the stage will be first come, first serve. Please limit your time to 20 minutes or less, including Q&A. Please take this opportunity to let us all know what you stand for and how you would best represent our interests. Ellen and smiled and left the stage. There was a lot more applause after her instructions than she would have liked. She made her way over to Duck and knelt by her chair. Duck, honey, will you come with me for a moment? Ellen and gestured to Mobe to stay put as he started to rise to follow them. It's okay, Mobe. I've got her. Mobe watched as they walked off together. This was unexpected. Ose and Sai stood by a banquet table, watching Ellen and walk off with Duck. Did you hear about the substance? murmured Ose to Sai. No, the black stuff? Yes, it's moving out of the cavern where the source is, and into a side tunnel that apparently feeds into the wall corridors of the temple. It's stopping when it reaches the point where it would be above ground, but more keeps coming, and right now the entire side tunnel is completely full. Why is it moving? No one knows, but if this keeps up, the entire substance will be plastered against one side of the cavern, trying to force its way into the tunnel. No one's ever thought of what might happen if the substance separates completely from the source. There's never been one without the other. I didn't realize that they touched. I thought the source was just the blue rock and the substance was just the smelly black stuff. The base of the source is sitting in a pool of the substance underground. The theory is, is when the source is charged, it's the substance that actually holds the power and then feeds it out slowly through the source. No one knows for sure. Can't you people just be satisfied with having your power run low? Do you have to have your black smelly stuff run away from home too? There's more drama here in the temple than on a holovid. Ose tried to smile. I am focusing on the visitors. Minds better than mine will have to handle these other crises. His calm unit buzzed and he looked down to see who it was. Ha! Mobe. Fran saw Ellen and walk off with Duck and knew that was her cue. She started her climb down the window frame, wedging her fingers in and using skills she'd honed in Burston. She was able to get to ground level and over to Mobe before he was able to fully sit back down again. She came out of phase, seated in the chair next to him, as he picked up his calm to call last Ose. Mobe! Hi! So glad to find you! Fran beamed at the offered. Mobe stared at her for a moment, then seemed to find his voice. Ambassador not. How may I be of service? Fran leaned towards Mobe, and he instinctively leaned away. I need your help. 
she whispered. Duck's birthday is coming up in a bit, and I want to plan a surprise party for her. Will you help? Of, of course, he stammered. What would you like me to do? It's intricate, the plan. Fran launched into a detailed explanation of decorations and food. She talked at length about Duck's favorite types of cake and then put her hand on Moby's shoulder. We should reach out to Ose and Sai, too. They'll add a lot to our little group. Fran looked expectantly at Mobe. He looked back at her blankly for a moment, frozen in place. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, I was just calling them. Mobe fumbled with his calm. Hello, last Ose? Hello, last Ose, it is, it's Mobe. Ambassador Knott is here, and she would like to talk with you and Lucent Sai about planning a surprise party for Duck's birthday. Mobe listened for a moment, then hung up. They are heading to us. Fran looked thrilled and hopped up out of her chair. She spotted the two men coming over and waved. With a bit of luck, she could keep the three of them busy for at least an hour, maybe more if she got Ose started on discussing recipes. As long as they were busy with her, they couldn't stop Buck from forwarding his own agenda. Buck worked his way through the back half of the convention hall, stopping to talk to as many visitors as he could. Bussett was taking the front half of the hall, and Eulish was handling the side rooms. It was taking all of Butt's wit and charm to move people off of Elenin and onto Eulish for the visitor service liaison, let alone getting himself into the treasurer's spot in their heads. He sat down at an empty table to think. They needed to move faster. Bussett's twenty minutes to speak was coming up. Maybe that would shift a few folks. Eulish was enjoying herself a lot more than Buck. She was seated on a comfortable couch in one of the side rooms, with several young lasts hanging on every word. Tell us again, Ambassador Eulish, what happened when you came through? Well, it was horrible, really terrible. I was so scared. Eulish looked as frightened as possible, while still keeping her chin up high enough to prevent the ruffles of her dress from completely covering her face. And then you saw Busset? Oh, yes, and she was a mess, covered in mud and slime, and her hair all ratted. Eulish described her sister with relish. She barely even looked human, let alone female. And then you found Buck? I did. He was fighting off several beasts all on his own. I screamed when I saw him in such danger and... My scream distracted the animals enough for him to dispatch them quickly. When did you first know that Busset was the first? When I saw her come through. I saw her appear and I thought to myself, Aha! There's the first. The lasts around Eulish looked at her with shock. As one, they fell to their knees. Eulish realized her gaff. Oh! Oh, dear, now don't listen to little old me. Of course I didn't see her come through. She came through before me, and that's what makes her the first. She smiled and pushed down at a ruffle. Ambassador Eulish, you don't need to hide the truth from us. You're the first, aren't you? And your sister is claiming the title to keep you safe. Please, no, no, I'm not the first. Just a humble visitor that only wants to be voted in as visitor service liaison. Eulish stood up and shook her ruffles into place, thinking furiously. 
She looked at the adoring lasts kneeling before her and wondered if her mistake was actually a stroke of genius. She decided it might be all right to allow herself a bit of fun. Please, my friends, keep our conversation among just us. I couldn't bear it if my poor sister's sacrifice turns out to be in vain. Eulish turned and left the room quickly, trying to keep from smiling. She pulled off her hat and tossed it onto a table. She would have to find a way to smooth over what she told the last with Buck, but who says she couldn't be the first? Plus it was an unbearable first, bossy and demanding. Eulish knew that she'd be a much better one, one that was kind and magnanimous. She was working out the best way to break the news to Buck when she heard a familiar voice booming through the room. Hello, can everyone hear me? Bussett stood up on the stage, posed and poised. Hi, everyone. My name is Bussett, and I'm your first. She spread her arms wide and curtsied deeply. The room burst into applause, and Bussett rose and put her hand on her heart, smiling. Thank you so very much for that warm welcome. I'm here to introduce myself and talk to you about my thoughts on the elections. We have to think of the future, our future, and make sure we're making wise choices about who is going to represent us and handle our money. Eulish stood at the side of the room, glowering at her sister on stage. Of course everyone applauded her. Of course everyone loved her. She was considering what to do next when she heard a soft voice by her ear. Ambassador Eulish, please don't be distressed. One of the lasts from the room was standing by her, gazing at her adoringly. My name is Last Kester, and I'd be honored if you'd allow me to ensure your safety during the convention. There's no need for you to fret. Eulish realized that the young fool had interpreted her rage as fear. Thank you, Last Kester. Your bravery is noted. She took his arm and walked to a pair of empty seats near the back of the audience. With a bit of luck, by the time Buck realized what she'd set into motion, it would be too late to fix it. Eleanor took a deep breath and told herself to calm down. She was in the hallway just outside the convention. She told herself that this was no different than acting in a high school play or pretending to be an offered. All she had to do was play her part and let Fran and David handle the rest. The plan had been dependent upon Buck, Bussett, or Eulish taking the stage at some point. Now that that detail was handled, it was up to Eleanor to set the stage for the next step. She waited until Bussett was about ten minutes into her speech and then opened the door into the convention hall. Eleanor ran up to the stage, stopping at the very front of the audience where her voice would be picked up by the stage mics. Bussett! Bussett! You're in danger! They're just outside! Run! Too late! A voice boomed out over the hall. A burly humanoid in full body armor strode down the aisle as more poured in the doors. There were at least ten of them, and their leader pointed a pulse gun at Bessett, even as several defense team members came out of phase. The team started running towards the shooter as Bussett stood frozen on the stage. Bussett, the first you are an abomination under these skies, and your death is required by law and custom. The pulse gun went off, and everyone in the room saw the beam shoot towards Bussett. It got within an arm's length of her and then suddenly changed direction, flying up into the distant ceiling. The humanoid tried again, 
and the beam angled up into the ceiling once more. He shot at the wall next to him, and a hole exploded where the beam hit. By this time, the defense team had reached him, and he went down under a tangle of black. Several lasts hopped up onto the stage and pulled the first away, covering her with their bodies. The interlopers were gathered up and taken away by the service. Elenin took to the stage once the room had settled down a bit and raised her hand for order. Thank you for your attention. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're all right and not too distressed at this unexpected event. The first is fine, completely fine, and under the care of the service at the moment. Elenin looked serious and put her hand on her heart. I hope you all understand the incredible risk that Ambassador Bussett is taking each and every day. There are many different factions in this galaxy that would love to cause harm to the service. And what better way to do that than by killing the first? The prophecy would never be fulfilled, and the service would lose its power in more ways than one. Clearly, the protection of the service is needed for our first. I don't know what we would have done if they had not been here. I suggest that we allow the service to take on the protection of Ambassador Bussett in the foreseeable future. She walked slowly to the center of the stage, brow furrowed, hands clasped in front of her. These difficult events have disturbed me greatly. It's clear that Ambassador Bussett is willing to put her life on the line, no matter how dangerous things become. In exchange for her noble choice, I think we should take her advice on the elections before us right now. She recommends Ambassador Buck as the treasurer and Ambassador Eulish as a visitor service liaison. I am inclined to honor her request. I will be honest, I'm not just saying we should vote for who she would prefer because she's the first. I'm also very aware that somehow, some way, two pulse gun bolts change direction mid-shot, and anyone that can do that has more powers than any other visitor I know, more knowledge, and probably more wisdom. Elenin walked to the edge of the stage and looked earnestly at the audience. I'd like to take a vote, here and now. If you would like the service to be in charge of the protection of the first, and you'd like Ambassador Eulish to be our visitor service liaison, and Ambassador Buck to be our treasurer, please stand and raise your hand. Elenin stood tall and raised her hand. Every visitor in the audience rose as one, with their hand raised. Elenin beamed. May I be the first to congratulate our newly elected representatives, Liaison Eulish and Treasurer Buck. Duck stood at the front of the audience in front of the ballot box. As Mama Two spoke up on the stage, symbols were slowly appearing on the floor in front of Duck, written with water. Auntie Franz, Uncle David's, Auntie Maggie's, and Uncle Paolo's. Everybody was accounted for and all right. Duck made the all-clear sign and held it. She heard her mommy shift into the vote-taking part of her speech. Duck was relieved. As long as the vote went through, they would be able to leave and go live in a dome altogether on Thrid. The last would leave them alone because the service had a first. It would take them cycles to figure out that they had the wrong visitor. The defense team would sign up for the exploratory committee and they'd all live and train together in the dome. The visitors that didn't want to live in a dome could stay on a safer planet and run the courier service if that went through. That would give them money and something to do. 
something to own. Duck understood about needing something to do. When all the visitors stood up and voted yes, Duck looked up at Mama too and felt joy. Her family was very smart and worked very hard. Being Duck was the best thing ever. Fran, here and now. Fran sat on the roof near the Worcester bushes, using the icy cold water to soothe the burn on her wrist. The heat-proof mitt on her left hand had slipped, and the second pulse bolt had come a little too close to her skin. Using a block of bolt-proof metal to divert pulse fire had been Paolo's idea. While a skin suit could keep a bolt from actually passing through a visitor's body, the heat where the bolt hit caused a nasty burn on the skin inside. A block of metal got hot as well, but that's what the mitts were for. Fran had phased deeply, put on heat-proof mitts, held the metal block, and slipped her skin suit over the whole bulky mass. She waited on stage by Busset until the shooting started, and then put the angled block in the path of the pulse beams as they inched towards her. The Burston tribe had worked out the logistics of bending a bolt weeks ago, and it worked pretty well if your mitts weren't a shade too small. Fran raised her head. Something was different. She stilled herself and listened carefully. There was someone in the shadows, breathing. Come out into the light. I'm a bit jumpy at the moment, and I'd hate to overreact, said Fran, letting her skin suit slip back over her hand. A short being came out slowly, hands raised. I'm a medic. I'm here to help you heal. Her face was chubby with what looked like a wreath of ears around her head. I don't need a medic. This body heals itself. Fran thought of all the different times her body had been torn apart and put back together at Burston. If she could heal through that, she could heal through anything. I can see that, but surely you'd like to know how it does that. More like you'd like to know how it does that. Yes, I'm last Srilla. I've been studying you visitors ever since you came forward. I'm very interested in learning more about how your bodies work, both in and out of phase. I'm trying to find a cure for issues unique to the visitors. Like what? Well, for one thing, there's a sort of sickness that seems to happen when you come out of phase. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it does not. Sometimes it's terribly painful. Sometimes it's not. I'm studying that, trying to find a way to understand what's causing it, why it presents differently at different times, and find a way to prevent it. If you stay a long time in phase, you'll get phase sickness when you come back into the here and now. How deep you are in phase and how long you stay determines how bad the sickness is. Is there an established metric applicable to all visitors? How do you judge how long is safe? Have you experienced the sickness yourself? Cyrilla fired off questions and Fran wished she had never spoken. Can I get a few samples of your body fluids? Cyrilla looked at her with excitement. Fran sighed and motioned for her to sit down. She held out her arm as Cyrilla beamed at her and opened her medic's bag. End of chapter 12 Breathe I am, I am, I am, I am entwined, 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 entwined between the habit and the bond. I have one in search of the marrow.
Paths, paths start to narrow. I am, I am, I am, I am quite blind, quite blind, quite blind, in my own backyard. I am half mad with yearning. Tell me, who can you tell me who chooses, who does the burning? here. This section is Q&A for Duck, Chapter 12. 
I'd like to apologize to start off with. In the process of doing this podcast, I wound up adding, changing, editing. And so instead of having 12 chapters, I actually have 13. So for those of you who had timed this to end on this particular episode, my apologies. You've got to suffer through one more after this one. I'd like to talk today about a quote that I've carried around with me for almost, well, over 30 years now. It's from Simone Weil. Weil? She's a 20th century philosopher. And here's the quote. We possess nothing in the world. A mere chance can strip us of everything except the power to say I. I found this and wrote it down on a napkin over 30 years ago and put it in a box that had all sorts of quotes and ideas in it. And then I took the box and I put it in another box when I was moving. And as I've moved around decade after decade, I've simply taken that one cardboard box with the other box in it and carried it with me. And it wasn't till a few weeks ago that I actually opened up the box and sorted through the contents. And I found all kinds of stuff, really early drafts of music and endless poems and a lot of quotes. And when I read this one, I was struck by how much it is woven through the entire book, Duck. It's actually woven through the three books that make up the trilogy. Duck's the first one. I'm almost done with the second one. Then there's a third one. Originally, I just wanted to put it all in one book, but there was so much that showed up when I started actually writing the first book that when I mapped it all out, it fills three. So it's Duck the Trilogy at this point. The idea that we really don't have anything other than the power to say I apparently sunk in deeper than I thought. Because when these people were pulled forward, that's really all they were left with. And there's a little added dimension to that because they don't even know anymore who they actually are when they're saying I. They've had their skin suits added. They've had things changed about them. After a while, they start to wonder if their memories are real or distorted. Kind of a tough situation to be in. I've mentioned before that it isn't really a question of why you're pulled forward or what has happened to get you to where you are. It's a question of how you handle it and where you go from this new spot that you find yourself in. I think that for the six people in the Burston tribe, which would be Maggie, Elena, David, Paolo, Fran, Duck, that's the key question that I'm asking myself as I'm writing. And that's the main reason that I have wound up adding so much as I've been doing this podcast. I added an entire chapter 
worth of content to the book from just the process of reading it out loud and making sure that it's super clear for people to understand, even if they're just listening to it. I'd like to think that each one of the six are doing the best they can with what they have to work with. I guess I'll find out as I write the rest of the second book and go through the third. What are your thoughts on this concept and this idea? Let me know what you think of this. Now that we're on chapter 12 out of 13, we just have one more episode to go until we're done with this part of the Duck Duck Goose podcast. I'll be taking a little bit of a break, finishing up the second book, and then I will hopefully be able to reach out to some of you to help out with the beta reading for the second book. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, these podcasts are all turning into one big blur, but I had a lot of people read this book and edit it and give their feedback and just basically let me know if I was on course or off course with writing something that people could understand and follow. So that process happens again on the second book and I'm very much hoping that you, my new auditory tribe, will be a part of that process. If you would like to be informed when the podcast starts up again, or be a beta reader for the second book, or just want to keep in touch with this project and the trilogy of books as it goes along, send me your email to duckhereandnow at gmail.com or go to duckhereandnow.com and there will be a place there to sign up to be a part of the email reach outs whenever we're ready to go ahead and do a next step, whatever that next step may be. As always, thank you for listening and being a part of the podcast. If you have questions, please feel free to send them in via email to duckhereandnow at gmail.com. I've started a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Pamela Zero, if you'd like to support what I'm doing here. I will see you guys next week for one last chapter. Stay well, everyone.